What a disappointing week. I was gonna it's so funny you stole my thunder. Is that right? I was gonna say, how about that weekend? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean the singer and songwriter? No, no, no. The weekend upcoming. Oh yes. Coming forth. Yeah, for us. that we're about to to have another weekend. We record the show on most Fridays. Fridays. Yeah, every other Friday. Bi weekly. And and for you, listener, it will be a Tuesday. Yeah, we usually come out on Tuesdays as last last week we came out on Wednesday. Because we did a last-minute edit. Oh, God. It's just thrilling for people to hear about now. We'll talk about that later. But this week has been a whopper of a week. It's been a whopper of two weeks for you, particularly. Yeah. Because, oh, my God. Barbie Girl (laughs) is not going to be in the Barbie movie starring Margot Robbie. Margot Robbie. And Ryan Gosling, the little baby duck. Little swan man. I don't see him as a Ken type. Who would you recast as the Ken? Instead of Ryan Gosling? Yes. Uh, Chris, Chris Pratt? Crispy Rat? No. He's very, he's a vacant, he's a plastic man. He's a real, he's a real. Well, yeah, but he doesn't have, he looks sort of too rugged. Mm, yeah. And he's, he's not aging particularly well. Not that I'm, <laughs> you're not laughing. That I'm you're like, talk. you're like, well, yeah, I know. Just saying that out loud. It feels when, good when, when yeah. <laughs> but it's me saying it. So it's a real pot calling the kettle black. I think that a real American hunk. Drew Carey. <laughs> he's lost a lot of weight and he's got a, a sweet face. He's he's fifty, isn't he? Not Drew Carey. I don't know uh, who's a, who's a hunk these days. Who's there's what's... this guy Kellen, I think, who maybe he was in the Twilight franchise. Oh yeah, the beefy, the oh, beefy, the beefy one. Yeah, the the husky, the husky footbally vampire. Uh, sweet chunks. Could you like imagine a... him with the blonde and the tan? Yeah, sort too of... thick. Too thick for too, Ken, too huh? Too thick for Ken. He'd be kind of extra wide, strong Ken. What about Chris Pine? You pine. I pined for Chris, Chris Pine. Pine I, I know. Did I talk about him the last show, too? You've this is about embarrassing. Him you love that Chris Pine. Oh. And Elon Musk is going to buy Fuck Twitter, that. maybe. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Talking to Women About Video Games. I'm joined by Tanya. I am here. And she is here. I am here, too. I'm Jonathan Holmes, here to talk to you and talk to Tanya about video games. Jeez, we're on like episode 40-something. 40, 40 yeah. I know. I know. It's pretty the Hot takes on video games. <laughs> Coming here for the fresh news with the chicks and the broads and the... <laughs> in the gaming industry. Yeah. It oh. feels good, doesn't it, Jonathan, to just be here talking about what's going on and and hanging out with bitches. <laughs> this is wrong. Is this am I am I being inflammatory? No, you, you I can say it. You can say all those yes, things. It's yes. like the N-word. I, I can say it sorta sometimes in certain company. In other company I can't say it. Because race is a social construct i got a big old whopper of a 
discussion slash argument with one of my regular listeners and someone who's supported me for years. He goes by Frank Drebin. Oh, you're calling him out. On Twitter. Yeah, and it's also didn't funny. We, didn't we also just recently mention that? I don't know. Maybe we, it was just in conversation. You and I have talked about the character Frank Drebin from the Naked, Naked Gun, Gun series. franchise, yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm. The Police Squad franchise. And Frank Drebin was uh, saying that he didn't know if trans women are women, which you don't want to say to me because, well, we know not to you... toot my own horn, but I, I like to advocate for, for trans folks in particular. A lot of my favorite guests on the show, which which is all of them. I don't have any particular favorites. I love all of them the same. <laughs> and I love all the guests who have been on the show. And we've had quite a few guests on the show who happen to be trans women. So he was saying, I don't know if I, I, I'm not saying they're not, but I'm not saying they are. First, you need to tell me what a woman is. And you use it in your show. So I know you have a definition for it. So if you give me the definition for women. We've had this conversation about this show. Yeah, maybe we have. We, we well, talked about that. Well, other people have criticized the show and said it shouldn't be called talking to women about video games. And some folks have invited to be on the show have said, I'm not a woman. I'm non-binary. They, them pronouns. So do I count? And I've said, if you think you count, then come on. And if you don't think you count, then then don't. Stay back off. <laughs> <laughs> but the the thing I was saying to Frank Drebin from Police Squad on Twitter about this. I can't believe you're podcasting about a Twitter fight right now. It wasn't off. a fight. Debate. It was a conversation and we both thanked each other at the end of it. It went oh, on that's for, so good. for days. It was during PAX and I was just I'm tweeting Frank Drebin right now from Police Squad. <laughs> Why don't you pay attention to the fun at PAX? No, no. Frank needs a response. I need to explain this to Frank. So I was explaining to him that social constructs and your identities, they're not real concrete things. That they are based around cultural norms, individual concepts, individual feelings, individual understandings of identity, and also where you fit in your larger culture and society. And that isn't something with a concrete definition. What it means to be a woman, as far as the larger culture comes to understand it, in, let's say, Japan, is maybe different in terms of the norms than in the United States or Brazil or Iceland or China. And likewise, individuals have their own definitions that matter to them. And when they're explaining to you, I'm a woman, it's always good to eventually, if you are friends with the person and they're comfortable talking about it, finding out what do you what what does that mean to you? But what I think a woman is matters a little less because I'm I'm not a you're, woman. You're, yeah. I know. You don't claim to know what it feels like to be a woman. No. No, I sure don't. I'll tell you what. I was As you were going on and on just then, <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about how we take for granted every day when you are cis or, you know, when you're white, for example, mm. that you just exist in your space and you don't have to explain your existence oh, yeah. to, to folks. and. Mm-hmm. You got to take a moment back and say, wow, I actually have to define myself in context to others and then defend that definition. Yep. Like, that sounds like some fucking bullshit. Yeah, it really does. And I, I do not pry about these things. And I certainly don't want anyone to feel like they have to defend themselves. But what I said to Frank, what I said to Frank was, Frank, what do you take from it if somebody says I'm married? He says, well, I think they're in a in a legally binding, consenting, committed relationship. I'm like, well, 
What about people who are married, but it's not legal for them to be married to their spouse in their particular country? Are they not married? Well, legally they're not. But yeah, but that's not what we're talking about. What, what, there's such thing as illegal marriages. That's why that term exists. And what about this commitment part? What about people who are in arranged marriages and they don't really want to be in it? They're, so they're, they're forced. But And what about people who are married, but it's an open relationship? And, you know, uh, marriage is another social construct that has been around not as long as the construct of, of gender, but it's, it's similar in that, yes? It specifically is designed to um, pay benefits to people based on something that's sort of bullshit. Marriages, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's like you get it. tangible benefits for something that, you... <sighs> anyways. That's a whole other kettle of fish. So he was like, no, no, they're different. And the more we talked about it, he's like, I guess they're kind of the same. When somebody says they're married, all you know is that they're trying to communicate something to you. But until you know what kind of marriage it is or what how they define marriage, it's just a, another construct. Then well, you have to get to know the individual to understand what that means to them. Well, well, I would say that too. Except people don't put in, they don't put in the work. Or we, when you say I'm married, and that person just ascribes to their social construct understanding of that word, a lot of times the person saying it can just say, eh, "I'll let them think what they want," but. Hmm. Or they might have to defend themselves or explain what that means to that person, yeah. depending on what they want to do. Sure. But, I mean, people are still trying to defend the fact that if you marry someone of the same sex or gender as you, that that's still a real marriage. There's some people that still don't think that, quotes, gay marriage, unquotes, is real. So I was trying to explain it to Frank, is my point, and he sort of got it that when people tell you who they are, explain a little bit about their identity, I'm a married woman, they may say, that you don't automatically know exactly everything about them based on the fact that they gave you those descriptors, and therefore your definition should be thrown out in the first place, and instead say, okay, you're a married woman, that's really interesting, that's what you wanted me to know, and that's what you told me, maybe I'll find out more, maybe you'll tell me more about what those things mean to you over time, maybe we'll get to know each other, and you'll tell me, well, to me, marriage is... A journey or something. And or maybe they won't. valleys. <laughs> <laughs> and what it means to be married may be very different. I mean, I can think of at least three people right now who say, I'm married, but I'm not committed, and I don't even like my spouse, but I'm technically married, and here's what it means to me. It happens a lot. You cannot assume much about what somebody's relationship is based on them telling you that they're married, and likewise, you can't assume much about someone be their biological sex, be it a, their concept of femininity, be it anything, based on them telling you that they're a woman. Everyone's oh, different. Same with being a pole dancer. Yeah. When I say I'm a pole dancer, oh, oh it goes the the ranges of of perceptions is it's kind of actually fun for me. Yeah, you enjoy it. I enjoy it. Yeah. 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 But I also have to be judicious about you know where I let that card show, and I I would hate to have to do that about my gender mm. <laughs> like something that is so visible that people could just m misconceive mm. people don't know that i'm a pole dancer unless they see me in my heels or in the studio or whatever yeah but people are always looking at you in terms of what is your gender yeah 
Absolutely. It's the or way... your skin color or your, you know, size. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. These are things that a lot of people automatically start categorizing people and judging people based on visually. And it's it's all wrong. It's all nonsense. Hopefully we we're can... going way off on this. Yeah. yeah, we're having a great time. We're going to tie it into the Penny Arcade Expo East, which just happened. Oh, Boston town. It is a place where people who feel as wait, though. Wait, what? Is that what the acronym stands for? <laughs> Penny Arcade Expo. PAX, yes. It is, truly? The ex- <laughs> Why would I lie? Why would I just be like, it's the pernicious acronym uh, xylophone? xylophone. <laughs> yeah. Is that really what it is? Uh, you know, yes. I didn't know that. Yes. Penny Arcade Expo. God. Mm-hmm. Okay. It just happened. Yeah. And it's a place where people go to feel like they are included, understood when they tell other people, I love video games. You do that at the Penny Arcade Expo and nobody's going to be like, well, aren't you too old for that? Or those violent video games? What are you, some sort of sort of mass murderer in your own mind? doesn't happen at the Penny Arcade Expo. Are you sure, though? Do you think that there are sometimes people that say, oh, look, they're going to that game at... To- Play that at the game. Penny Arcade yeah, Expo. Yeah, I have never seen it. There's been plenty of conflicts at the Penny Arcade Expo, and believe it or not, I've been in them. <laughs> I've been in a bunch of them myself. Oh wow! But it wasn't over that stuff. It was over other stuff that maybe we'll have time to talk about in the episode this week. I don't know. But we're gonna kick it over to my old friend Radia. I was on her Pokemon podcast not long ago. I'll put a link to it in the show notes for this episode if I can dig it up. Wonderful, wonderful Pokemon-based conversation. <laughs> and uh, with her co-host, The Wolf Doctor, which is just an amazing name. That is a great name. Ms. Silver and The Wolf Doctors. Wow. Pokemon podcast. And I bumped into her at PAX. You met her too, briefly, if I remember correctly, because I got you into a PAX party. That, that was... was a whole other <laughs> oh. adventure. Yeah. And I saw her. I was like, be on my podcast. She said, sure. So let's kick it over to Radia. So I'm here with Radia, the one and only Miss Silver, who had me on her Pokemon podcast. Woof, was that eight years ago? Something like that. I don't know. It could have been 8,000. I'm not sure. <laughs> it could have been. And we're still here. We're still live. We bumped into each other at PAX East. 2022, though you're never far from my thoughts. And after seeing you at PAX, I thought, wow, it'll be so great to get her to be a guest on my podcast if she's willing to do so to return the favor. And here you are. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm just really excited that PAX East actually occurred in person because so many things have been shut down. And I love all of the measures they set up to help keep people safe. And it was it was just amazing to see people that mm. I haven't seen in literally two years. Yeah. So it was super cool. Yeah, it was it was great to see you there and it was great to see it existing. It was very different this year. The, it, <laughs> was, it was it was yes, smaller. Different. There was there less stuff. There was a lot more tabletop. There was a lot more like food trucks on the floor, <gasps> which is wild. Yes, that was okay. That was a good change because mm. not like it was negative 2000 degrees this year, but there was food right there without having to go outside and freeze 
in zero degree weather in costumes yeah. that don't exist. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, but in terms of games, no Nintendo, no Sony, no Microsoft, no fan gamer. That was the weirdest to me. Oh, the fan gamer mega booth where they sell a bunch of stuff. Sometimes they even sell books that I wrote a little bit of. So I get a little <gasps> twinge of, of humble brag. I and, didn't know that. Yeah, just a little. Like a you couple hold out on so many there. things. Okay, and... this man. <laughs> you're, you're too kind. So they weren't there. The big games of the show for me were like McPixel 3 and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Shredder's yes. Revenge. Those were great games, but it wasn't that feeling of indie and AAA coming together and leveling the playing field. So we're all kind of the same. It was more like indie and big name indie, but no, no real AAA sense, at least for me. And for me, that actually made it better because I don't care about AAA that much. I got to just get to the stuff I really wanted that was right there and see people a lot more easily because it wasn't that crowded. So you could see someone from like across a hallway. I saw you from kind of far away and in, 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 in years past, there would have been a sea of people within my line of sight. So I couldn't have seen you, but I saw you and we caught up. I saw your mom. It was great. Yeah. So how did you feel about the differences between PAX this year and, and prior PAXs? I definitely agree that it was easier to find people. But the one great thing about having more space is that the lines were shorter for the game. So short. Yeah. You could actually get to play something that you're like, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You know, you probably would have had to wait like three hours to play that if it had been in normal times. But sure. that, that game was fire. And it's like you could go through and you could maybe go play multiple characters if you wanted to. Mm -hmm. So that that's amazing. So you and liked like, it. Yeah. <sighs> I didn't even... <laughs> I didn't even look at what was going to be at PAX beforehand. And mm. I saw that there day one. And I was like, I did not wear an April O'Neil costume. And this is here. I, I didn't even do this on purpose. I was super psyched because that is like the NES slash arcade game is one of my favorite games. Mm, I got that mm -hmm. for Valentine's Day when I was a kid. Oh. I will never forget that. And I was like, this is like the modern, crazy ultimate version of this game. Mm -hmm. And I... Yeah. I did see you there on Thursday in line with your mom and a man in a turtle's costume. Who was that? Who was that man? <laughs> that was my boyfriend, Davey, oh. and he is also a huge Ninja Turtles fan. That's wonderful. Many and times you, on my NES. <laughs> and, and if I'm not incorrect about this, we don't have to get too personal about it, but you met Davey while working events for Nintendo. Is that right? We did. We actually met in Seattle at Nintendo, which is crazy. Also 8,000 years ago. <laughs> yeah, the headquarters. That's that's incredible. So you've loved doing live events for a long time. You've worked live events like mall events, other events for Nintendo for, for many years. They're doing less of those events now, as far as I can gather, but that was still a big part of your life. What it is, what is it about the, the live event, be it PAX or be it something you're doing professionally for Nintendo, running a panel. You ran a fantastic Pokemon panel this year. What is it about the live event that excites you, that interests you? I think it might be, well, when you touch upon the things like the panel, some of the things I've tried to put together, we've done more, quote, professional topics like esports or the one with you about podcasting, but I've tried to put together some game shows or choose your own adventure story type things. And 
I come from a theater background growing up and I think it's really fun to get an audience involved and get people psyched and just have a really good time. I've literally been going to live events and working at them since I was a little kid. Oh, wow. When my dad dropped me off at Gen Con when I was 10 or 11 years old and would pick me up at night. Is that a good idea? I can just have <laughs> a little girl off and go pick her up. Be at this corner, kid. We have to stay here till tomorrow. And look, look how great you turned out. You survived. <laughs> That's right. I life. didn't die. <laughs> and you used to also run the 3DS Street Pass meetups at the mall. I went to yeah. a couple of those. I got a, a lot of great street passes. And when you ran those, how do I describe it? Some of the people there seemed like they were shy were struggling a little bit socially and you just loved them all like your own children. And they looked up to you and, and glowed and felt loved and accepted. And it was such a beautiful sight in the light of the food court at the, at the mall, French fries and, and fried chicken yeah, you are in, being too in our noses as, as people are street passing and, and shyly, but lovingly feeling included in a community. That those are incredible days. Well, I think it's really important someday when we have a return to all of these things to just get these in-person interactions because people need these things. Like we have, you know, used to have those fun events at the mall or even one of my favorite things we did was we had a huge, huge meetup at the round one that used to be in Taunton. And we did a co-op event with a dance group and we had like, I don't know, maybe a hundred people show up to that. So you get all these really huge rhythm gamer enthusiasts showing up. And, you know, there's just so many people that once you see other people who you can communicate with, you all get along with, you realize that, you know, oh, I like this game. You like this game. It's just all about connections mm. and making friends. And it's just a great thing. Yeah. I didn't know you did that. So it was like a confluence of dance and video game culture. Yeah. I'm, there's so many things that overlap. Like I would love to someday go to something like MAGFest where you've got the huge music community overlapping mm. with video games. I have some friends who've gone to that, but there's so many things that can overlap and just show people how much they have in common together. Sure. And all have fun. It's interesting because you have some interest in the Pokemon series. You sort might, of like it. You might say that. <laughs> yeah. I might have too many plushes, posters, games. I mean, the way you're, VHSs. <laughs> you're on camera right now and the word Pokemon is just over your head like a halo in the in the cracks of your headset. So it looks like you're just emanating Pokemon from the top of your head. And the Pokemon series was initially about, of course, collection and a little bit of adventure, but it was very important that you were able to connect with other people by trading through the link cable on the old Game Boy oh. version. And if I remember correctly, I read an interview with one of the designers of Pokemon who said they hated it when <laughs> their friends got a rare item in like Final Fantasy three or something and they couldn't get it because it was a rare drop. And that what if you could just give that sword to me? Well, <sighs> with Pokemon, you can. And once you start giving things to other people, you start to feel accepted and connected to them and a little community happens. And frankly, I don't think Pokemon would have done half as well if it weren't for that trading aspect that was built into the design of the early games. So do you think that has something to do with why you love these live events as well? Or is this just a real, 
Yeah, I don't know. I it's, it's such true. a wonderful thing with Pokemon because when you trade a Pokemon, it keeps the original name. So yeah. sometimes you try and name the Pokemon something special when you give it to your friend. And then, you know, you never want to get rid of your friend's Pokemon because, you know, it's from them. It's got their name, their trainer ID. And then when you used to be able to write mail and put oh, it on the Pokemon right. and uh-huh. give it to your friend and things like that. So it's very pro social. You're very, you're the most social video game fan. I think I know a lot of people think of (laughs) video games as sort of an antisocial pursuit, but you are there creating meetups for people, running events for Nintendo in the past and hopefully again in the future, and then showing up at PAX in the midst of the pandemic. A lot of people didn't want to go. They're afraid. I wore two, three masks on my face. I social distanced. I did hug you though, didn't I? I don't know. I think I, I at you? least bumped elbows. I don't know what I did. <laughs> I did lose it a little bit when I actually was in that setting again. I know I wasn't supposed to hug people and I hugged them with masks on and I'm, I'm boosted and vaccinated, asymptomatic. And I didn't hug people by like day three because I thought by then everyone was infected. But like day one and two, there's a couple of hugs thrown out. And so far, so good. You're you're feeling OK. You didn't get sick. I'm doing pretty good. I've actually taken some COVID tests and they've all come up negative. So I'm like, yes, good. So it seems like it's been a good PAX for me and I'm, I'm hoping everyone else is doing as best as they can. Yeah. Yeah. That's all we can do. So what's next for you? What do you want to do next with mm. your future in video games? Play more games. I want <laughs> more time to play more games. <laughs> I mean, you probably have a backlog too. You've got all these things you want to do. I've got a massive backlog. It's painful. Uh, do you want to run more events? Do you want to do more stuff like that if we're allowed to? I would definitely like to. I miss, I used to work, well, I still do with a company called Super League Gaming mm-hmm. that did in-person tournaments at movie theaters, which, Whoa. dude, it was dope. Like, can yeah. you imagine seeing like your League of Legends or your Minecraft character up on a giant, huge movie theater screen? Yeah. That's sweet, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, we did some of the smaller events at land centers. So there are people that I still talk to in the area from this. And I hope someday that these in-person events will come back. But for now, we've got online tourneys for that. Yeah. I'm hoping. <laughs> I'm hoping too. I mean, how long can one pandemic last? Five years? Ten? Pro- probably not ten. We'll probably I mean, be human beings again. In a decade, right? I, I, I always jokingly say 2030, but it could be just the truth. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the meantime, I will be here. You will be here. We are still live. I'm so glad you're on the show. And I want to make sure if there's anything else you wanted to tell people, they can follow you on Twitter. They can. You can always check me out on Twitter or most social media is my tag. It's MZ. S-Y-L-V-E-R. If you want to play any games like Pokemon or any of the MOBAs I'm addicted to, like Smite or Pokemon Unite, uh-huh. <laughs> I've been playing that all day. Oh, I bet. Um, or check out any of the other projects I'm working on with acting or singing or any of those crazy things. Who knows? That's great. Yeah. You got your own website. Sort of, I checked it out. Again, I hadn't seen it in years. And there you are. You're, yeah, it's got your resume of, of acting performances and headshots. So fun. I should probably update that. I'm terrible about updating it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because you have uh, extroverted 
tendencies, but you're also very giving. You don't really get that excited about making it about you. You want to give to the people. So you're, you're less excited about showing off your cool headshots, but headshots look great. Oh, get some new you. ones on there. It's, you know, it's all good photographer, good lighting that will do amazing things. You're very so. humble. You're a very humble person. They do great stuff. Ah, still humble. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for being on the show. It was great to see you. All right. It was great to see you. Hopefully we'll actually see you as a real person yeah. in real life. Someday. Hope so. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> So lovely to talk to Radia, and she was just in a movie. She was, what? yeah, I was just looking her up. I don't have my phone with me. She was just in a movie that played in Boston. I'll put that in the show notes too. Something about veterans, something else, the veteran's wife or something. Wow. I know, I just breezed past it. She was posing next to the picture looking so happy. Yes. Actress, performer, smiler, big time. You, you can't tell from the podcast, maybe you could hear it in her tone. But she is a big time laugher and smiler and I lover love that. of people. And that is... Live, love, laugh, Rydia. <laughs> Keep it going. It's a scarce thing. To be that pro-social, as I was saying to her in the video game world, is pretty rare. And it makes for you to be able to be really uh, a light in the darkness of, of folks who are sometimes scared to talk to each other. She brings the mood and makes it right for everybody. So scarcity is kind of a big part of what makes PAX important and what a lot of people love about video games in general is this sense of specialness that comes from the rareness, from the scarceness. PAX only happens once a year. You get in this go, special room. Get in, yeah. I've got to see these, these games and that, yeah. that you can't get. Maybe I'll get a sweet lanyard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you got a lanyard. Uh, I got a McPixel mask that I was really excited about. Whoa. Yeah, from the creator of McPixel. Who, what? Who hugged me, even though it's PAX and it's COVID. We shouldn't have hugged. I do not have COVID, by the way, as far as I know. It's been a week out from PAX. And luckily, I didn't get it, but he did. The creator of McPixel. He got it. Hit me up on Twitter a couple days ago. Said, sorry, I hugged you. I have COVID now. I hope you're okay. I'm like, I'm fine. I hope you're all right. And he's fine. Oh. Yeah, McPixel's a hilarious point and click WarioWare style game. I don't know if you know about WarioWare. WarioWare is like five, four, three, two, one. Do the thing. And it's usually tense and therefore funny when you have to do something absurd like shove a finger up a nose. Or, oh, yeah, all, all sorts of sudden actions you have to take. McPixel is like that, except you're this little guy named McPixel, and suddenly you're on a plane. The plane's going down. What are you gonna do? Uh, kick a kick a guy with a with a <laughs> with a parachute. Throw him out. Then grab his parachute while Get he's falling. Get the oxygen falling. mask. All that stuff. Yeah. Dig a hole through the center of the earth. You have to actually do that in that one. Wow. Yeah, you're playing soccer. It's one to ninety nine. How do you win? You let the other team get a point, and then their counter rolls over from 99 to 0, zero and you win. That kind of stuff. McPixel. I can Jeez. never think of that stuff. Yeah. One wow. of my favorite games of PAX for sure. And it was a real special, scarce, rare moment to get to, to talk to him. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Yeah. I was so stoked 
to go to the PAX after party. So I, I was working my day job. You were. On the on the Saturday, I was teaching pole dancing. I wasn't going to PAX. No. Either which way. I was like, let's go to that, that after party. I though. got you uh, tickets to an after party. VIP passes. Yeah, the Predator after party. Yeah. Which I, is... I was so excited. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't that excited. I well, that's because it wasn't scarce to you. No, I've been to a lot of those. Right, yeah. and I have not 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 a one. Not a one. Your first one. My very first one, mm-hmm. and we'll tell you what, Jonathan failed to RSVP. Yeah, I did. I I clicked the link, and it said unable to blah blah blah, and I was like, oh, it probably worked. But I was supposed to actually email the guy. That's what everyone else who got in for the VIP VIPs got free drinks all night. VIPs got sweatshirts. Got to go up to the loft area. Which is the same as the other area, except the drinks are free there. Right. So, and you get in first. I failed. We didn't it's go okay. in. It's okay. <laughs> I, I tried to... You're still trying to make me feel better about it. I tried to schmooze some guy. Yeah, and he just looked at me with a big smile and was like, there's nothing I can do. I was like, you know, he was like, well, they're going to have the same list upstairs. And I was like... All you need to do is just walk us right up there. No big deal. <laughs> you really tried. I, I, I was just like, it's no big deal. Mm-hmm. No big deal. And he was like, I feel so weird right now. I was hoping that I could make him uncomfortable enough that he would just... Wow. That's a, that's a powerful manipulation tactic. It's not kind. It's not exactly <laughs> nice. But it was about you... Winning I, that battle. I, went, I wanted the scarce thing. Yeah, you so wanted the bad. scarce thing, the rare Pokemon. You wanted to get into the special area where all the rare Pokemon were bouncing around. It's the same thing in the Pokemon games I was talking about. I mean, instead Medea. we went on a little adventure. We took a walk around the block and then... Is that what you want to call it? <laughs> I certainly saw around somebody else's block their, their vaginal block. <laughs> Me and Tanya went to a pole dancing bar. No, I was trying... It's called the strip club. Sure. I was very uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, I was like, my friend works here. Yeah, <laughs> Let's go say hi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, it's a way to pass the time. Yeah. And yeah. Saw some hooligans in the street mm-hmm. struggling. Yep. We saw some It was, it was just a life fight. experience. Yeah, there was blood on the ground. There was, was there? Yeah, I I, remember that. I was kicking that shirt with blood on it. And you were like, oh. don't put your foot on that blood shirt. <laughs> In the Boston That was at the streets. very end. That, yeah, that's yeah, true. That yeah. was a little later. But in the same general area. Either yeah. which way, we got into the party. Yep. You got in. I got in. We saw my old friend Caitlin Cook, her husband Ed. We saw Radia. She came with Davey, her boyfriend. I met a guy who works at Microsoft. We got a round Julian. of... We got a round of shots. Yeah. Ed gave us shots. And I was just a sourpuss in the corner thinking like... You were ah, not. Another... Another... Attempt at the big video game industry to try to get me to buy their stuff. They're trying to buy me off with shots and party music. They're playing soccer. What's it called? Rocket League soccer with remote control cars on a big screen. Yeah! Screaming. It was every it was a seconds. lot of screaming and it was Ugh. a lot of sweating and screamy, and, sweaty COVID and lots of booze and things. But yeah. you know, I still trying to social distance in there. That was tough because the place held two thousand people. So social and it was full. Well, the thing was is when coming up to this party, Jonathan was like, "Nobody's gonna go." Oh yeah, why would you want to go to that? I was thinking. Yeah. The line was around the block. There was all night long. Yeah, there was at least at least a thousand people when but, when we were there. But I I kind of go back to what Radia was saying, like 
that feeling of wanting to connect with people, mm. plus the idea of scarcity. Mm. This doesn't happen. It's been so long since packs. Mm. There's only one after party, mm. and you get to connect. Jonathan? Yeah. It was the perfect storm for a COVID petri dish, and you did not <laughs> predict it, and you're good at this shit. What happened? Oh, why did I get this wrong? Why did you get it wrong? Because it didn't appeal to your values? I didn't think about it very hard. I didn't care <laughs> at all. Were... <laughs> I had other stuff to do. I've been working on this magazine. I was trying to meet up with people at PAX in order to play their games and interview them. I gave the creators of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game, Shredder's Revenge, a bunch of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle toys to set up at their booth. That's cute. I was thinking about that stuff. Like, how oh, am I going to get these turtle toys to these guys in time? Oh, yeah, the Predator After Party. And I've been to a lot of these parties, and the last one, the Daisy party, nobody went to that. Delicious free hamburgers. I've never played Daisy. Ah. Never gonna play it ever in my life. You can't buy my love with burgers, Daisy. Oh, yeah. But I'm thank you for the thank you for trying. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was kind of them to try. And you know who I would buy things from? I have a feeling. Do you? I do. Who is it then? It would Who be, is it? It's Kelsey. It's Kelsey. Kelsey, co-owner of the Pinkerilla video game store in Seattle, a legendary store that contains Wonder Swan, mm. content, Sega Saturn, Japanese imports, rarities, and also just your common Uncharted 3 right off the street. They'll sell to you for like five bucks used. What? All sorts of stuff at the Pinkerilla in Seattle. Definitely go if you have the chance. And she also is part of the Video Game History Foundation. So let's kick it over to Kelsey. Let's do it. Video Game History Foundation, co-directed by Kelsey. So here with Kelsey Lewin, the co-owner of Pink Gorilla, one of the greatest video game stores in the world. Definitely one of the best in the, the United States. Kelsey, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me and, and for recognizing us as as one of the best. That's yes. uh, high praise. And 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 <laughs> highly reputable. I haven't been to the store myself. I'd love to go. Everyone I know who goes comes back and says, why aren't there more stores like that? And I wanted to start off by asking you, what was it like when you first started working there? Was Pinkerilla kind of this unicorn of a store? Then as well, this this place to get all these rare treasures that you couldn't find anywhere else? Or was it more or less just like another video game store at that time? Yeah, I mean, I think what drew me to it originally um, was uh, the first time I encountered the store was um, way back in like the mid to late 2000s, my first time visiting Seattle, actually. Um, and uh, it was very bright, very colorful. And it had a lot of really interesting stuff that I hadn't seen it. Um, you know, I, I mean, I was from Texas and I really mostly just had GameStops and EB games and that sort of thing down there. But even the local game stores, you know, the mom and pops and stuff didn't have quite the same breadth of stuff that this place had. And um, what really Im Im was impressive to me was especially the import stuff, because that was something that I hadn't really had a lot of experience with growing up. I didn't really think about, you know, what games looked like in other parts of the world, uh, especially in Japan. So I was very impressed with it the first time I saw it. I started working there uh, just as soon as I moved to Seattle for college and uh, loved it. I learned a lot about uh, about the retro game market very quickly, got involved in the sort of in the scene very quickly. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's a store that's been around for a really long time. And so I, I had a lot of pride working there and, um, you know, became a manager fairly quickly and tried to steer it in a good direction. That's incredible. So when you describe the store now as a co-owner, when people want to understand what you do, let's say you go to parties with other people your age and they're talking about how they're in accounting or business or stocks and bonds. And you're, <laughs> you say, well, I own the, the Pink Gorilla store here in Seattle. Uh, how do you explain the rest after you start telling people about it? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think a lot of people, I don't know, their eyes glaze over at the, the nitty gritty details a lot, but it is kind of an exciting thing to be able to tell people because everyone's got a happy memory with an old video game. So there's, there's usually at least, at least somewhere to go with that. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the day to day, you know, it's probably pretty similar to running other types of businesses just at a high level. But then I, I've been around the the kind of clientele that I have and the the people that I have. I mean, it's absolutely my people. You know, I, I grew up playing video games and then got really involved, especially in the the retro gaming scene and the the game collecting scene. And so, you know, I get to. I get to be around the same kind of people that I was going to be around anyway, which is the fun part. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell me about a time when you were really shocked by something that the store was able to get in in the past couple of years, like a real amazing find, or maybe there haven't been as amazing finds there because (laughs) you're doing so much with the Video Game History Foundation as well. I wonder if maybe that's where the amazing finds are happening or both. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of both. Uh, the cool thing about running game stores in the Seattle area is that it is a definitely game industry heavy area. You know, we've got Nintendo of America here. We've got Microsoft here, um, several pretty large game companies. So we tend to see uh, a pretty good amount of interesting stuff come through. Uh, Microsoft in particular seems to be very leaky, like the amount of prototype Xbox controllers and uh, systems and stuff that I've seen walk through. I'm like, it's almost a little concerning. Like, how many of these are you you guys letting people walk away with? Um, So, yeah, we've definitely seen a lot of cool stuff like that. Actually, uh, near me, I have something very silly that I probably paid too much for, but I just thought it was kind of interesting when the Xbox series S. Mm. Oh my goodness, I'm already doing the, the confusing Xbox name thing. Um, oh, one of those when that came out, um, the skinny one, they had they I guess made like a, a strange mock-up that was complete like it had a it has a board and everything on the inside, so it feels heavy, but if you open it up, it's just a completely unpopulated PCB. <laughs> On the inside, really? it's just a yeah, um, and it, it's it's engraved on the outside, and it's it's just meant to be sort of like a a prop, from my understanding, to um, show people, you know, like a a, a proto- prototyping the outside of the system or the mm. um, the designs for it and stuff. So it's it was a weird one because nor- I mean we get the sort of like dev kit things fairly often, or like these these functional but not retail versions of things. But this one in particular was was very strange. And it came from someone who bought it from a Microsoft employee thinking it was like a real 
Xbox and he's like, when I plug in, when I plug it in, nothing happens. And, you know, opened it up and I'm like, yeah, there's not, this is just an empty board. <laughs> there's nothing on this. Wow. It's like the, uh, the model homes from Arrested Development. Yeah. On the exactly. outside, it looks like, oh, Thanks. what a beautiful place. And, <laughs> and you plug it in. Wow. How interesting. It's exactly like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we tend to get a lot of kind of weird stuff like that, just being so close to, uh, to various game companies around here. Um, definitely some like cool rare stuff. I mean, a couple years ago, we had that thing that I was pretty convinced never happened anymore um, happened to us where like, you know, someone brings in a, a bag of dusty old games and at the bottom is like the, the $10,000 treasure or whatever. So uh, we had a copy of Nintendo World Championships walk into our store, which is the, the competition cartridge for the Nintendo World Championship um, uh, like series of, of competitions. Yeah. Uh, it's an incredibly rare cartridge. It's kind of like the holy grail of a lot of Nintendo collectors. And, you know, we know that there's probably still some out there that are unaccounted for, but I definitely thought at this point it, there wasn't going to be any more of those like I found this at a garage sale kind of scenarios. And uh, yeah, sure enough, a, a guy actually did walk in with a a bag of dusty beat up NES games. It was like, you know, uh, <laughs> like Barker Bill and and baseball and just very random stuff uh, that was, you know, just a few bucks a piece. And then at the very bottom of the bag was uh, the rarest NES game. So that <laughs> that was wow. That was a fairly strange one. And um, honestly, not something I, I recommend uh, having to deal with. That was a very stressful couple of days while I basically played hot potato with it. I didn't really I didn't really want to keep something that people know to be that valuable Whoa. inside of a store. You know? Oh, yeah. So I was I, thinking it was going to be like a, a golden ticket moment where you're like, this is it. <laughs> Our, yeah, we're, I mean, we're set for life. But it was actually a stress to deal with. It was a little bit of a stress um, and I'm I'm happy the way it turned out, too, because, uh, you know, I think we were able to make the guy who sold it to us incredibly happy and just be very upfront with him and be like, look, this is what this has sold for recently. Um, we can offer you, you know, pretty close to that, but we do still have to make some money on it. But if you want to try to get slightly more um, by selling it yourself, we understand. And uh, he was he was ecstatic because, you know, was not expecting a, a uh, five figure payout from the <laughs> the bag of dusty games he was trading in. So um, everybody was happy with that. But, yeah, I definitely I, I mean, it, it was a hot potato to me. Like, I, I really just wanted to get it off of my my hands as quickly as I could, because it just it felt a little. Um, well, actually, for even further backstory, uh, this was the year that. E3 accidentally leaked all of the like addresses and phone numbers oh. and everything of all of the press. If you remember that happening. Mm -hmm. um, so I was like extra on edge about <laughs> feeling like people know where I live. People know <laughs> oh. where my store is. People know that I had this come through my store. And so I really uh, we tried to kind of turn it around as fast as we could. And, and we did within a couple of days, which is nice. Yeah. Wow. Because. Video games are that valuable these days, but you're not set up like Fort Knox or a, or a, a, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> some sort of high tech safe. You're, you're just a regular store. So, yeah, wow. we have a little bit better security now than we did then. Uh, but there's not a lot of games that really are are worth anything near 
that amount. I mean, yeah. absolutely. The as a whole, the hobby, you know, has been growing in popularity, and and so prices have been going up. But um, that one's definitely an outlier in terms of you know we're not we're not really set up to we're not a jewelry store. You know, we're not set up to have a bunch of uh, five figure items in the store. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No kidding. I actually couldn't help but think of uncut gems as you were talking about that and looking at the the shiny that the adam sandler movie so so i wanted to ask about that actually because i feel like stores like yours are more rare than they used to be physical media in general is less of a common thing particularly in movies there used to be record stores that sold movies strawberries we were talking about at one point (laughs) blockbuster video of course i used to work there and now those are relatively rare and even gamestop for many years people were thinking maybe they were going to go under their stock was was doing really poorly and then it sort of got weirdly frauded into being valued by some people in a way but that's a whole other story your store on the other hand it seems like you're flourishing the store has been around for 17 years which is incredible. So I, I wonder what do you think of this discrepancy between physical media really dying out in a lot of ways, whereas your store is doing really well? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that really what it comes down to is, um, I mean, it's a little bit of specialization. Uh, I think there's always going to be a market for physical media. There's always going to be some percentage of people who find it important to, you know, actually be able to hang on to the copies of the things that they purchase. Um, and particularly, I think, uh, obviously collectors are a big part of that, but I also think that a big component of, of it is, you know, if you spend $50, $60 on a game, wouldn't it be nice if you can at least use some of that money towards the purchase of something else? Like you're not, mm. it's not just $50 or $60 or $70 even just gone forever to have a digital copy. It's like, okay, well, I played this, I got my $60 worth, and uh, now at least I can go get like 25 bucks for it, you know, Mm, like mm -hmm. uh, recoup some of that cost. So, I mean, I'm not totally blind to the way that the world is moving. Obviously, I think there's going to be way less nostalgia for uh, physical ownership as we continue on. But, you know, there still Mm. is a record industry. There are still people who want to have their music on the shelves and um, and I think games are absolutely going to, you know, continue to be the same way where uh, it's just more of a, a hobbyist industry hanging on to the physical stuff. Um, but because I know that it's not going to be, you know, every single person caring about having physical media anymore, uh, we try to do what we can to, you know, branch out into a few other things as well. I mean, I mentioned that something I really loved about the store when I first saw it was its import selection and I really like the idea of bringing imported goods in general to people because I think just giving people that opportunity to see uh, little slices of the world that they don't normally get to see can be really fun and really exciting. So we carry a lot of Japanese merchandise, um, mostly just in the form of like little keychains and plushies and and gifts and that sort of thing. Um, Mm. It's something that I think is, you know, it's not like, certainly not carrying the weight of the business by any stretch of the imagination, but it's something that I really enjoy being able to, to bring to people. Um, particularly like the small gift part, I think something that's a really cool part of Japanese culture that we don't really do so much here is a lot of times when, when you travel within Japan, 
you are sort of expected to pick up like a couple tiny little gifts to bring back to your friends and, and colleagues and stuff back, uh, back in the part of Japan that you live, you know, just little like keychains or um, candies or sweets or something like that, just something small, but just to say like, I went somewhere, here's a little, you know, token of uh, that I've kind of brought back with it. And I, I love that concept. I think it's so cool to just, you know, think of your friends in like $5 ways, you know? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so that's something that I really like bringing into the store, even if it's not, you know, I'm not never gonna be able to make it catch on in all of America, but I think it's a, I think it's kind of a cool concept, right? It's like, we carry some things where like, oh, you know that your, your friend's uh, favorite color is pink and they love bunnies. And we've got this cute little bunny keychain and it's like $4. It's, um, I really enjoy that. I, I love the idea of uh, just small things I can do to to show people that I'm thinking about them. And I, I think other people like it too. So Yeah, man. Definitely one of my favorite things about still having physical media is that I can give it to people or let them borrow yeah. it. Whereas a digital code, it just doesn't feel as loving in that way. I didn't give a little piece of myself by just saying, here's the code, download it. I, I mean, I right. do that too, but but to let people borrow games or or have them. And likewise with things that are a little less expensive, than games like a keychain or something, something that speaks to a certain specialness that you want to share with somebody. That's really yeah, and, so, and sometimes the games are like three bucks too. I mean, you can get Uncharted two right now at my store for like three dollars. So really, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a tempting treat for the PlayStation three, <laughs> which I still adore. That's probably my favorite PlayStation overall because of the backwards compatibility. But that's a whole other story. I'm wondering what you're thinking about. And we won't have too much more time, unfortunately. This is such a robust conversation. I could talk to you all day. But moving forward with game preservation, the history, you're also a part of the Video Game History Foundation, which has, last I looked on the website, a massive collection of games from this country, other countries, also game magazines, all things related to gaming as it's evolved. And do you see that as being something that's ever going to be truly valued because as I've seen it anyway, when I tell people video game preservation and video game history are important, they often look at me like, what do you mean? That's like saying the history of Mountain Dew is important or the history <laughs> of Doritos. You know, like they see video games as a junk food medium still. And man, it really hit me hard when you said, this is maybe going to be one of the last generations that's even nostalgic for physical media, but you're right. Because kids... I know today play games on their, their tablets, their phones, they don't have cartridges. They don't think of it that way. So they're not going to have the same attachment to physical yeah. media, which makes me all the more worried that if we don't start preserving these things now, the generation that to come won't care at all. And these things will truly be lost. But I'm, I'm wondering where you think the world of game preservation sits right now and how's it doing? Yeah, th so this is such a, a complicated, multi-layered issue here, but um, to sort of at least start unpacking it, I mean, up until fairly recently, up until the last like maybe 10 or 15 years, we were honestly very lucky with how the video game industry functioned. I mean, you would buy a cartridge or a disc or whatever, and the data is all there, it's all on there, and the concept of um, preserving the game itself was fairly simple. You know, we have um, 
I don't think this is going to shock anyone to hear that like right now you can go download just about any game from, you know, up until like the mid 2000s. Absolutely no problem. Anything that came out on a console. Um, that part's actually fairly solved and fairly easy. I don't I don't really worry about retail games very much. We are now moving into a world where a lot of media, not just games, but especially games, just no longer really works that way. That's mm. just kind of not the way that we play games. And even if, you know, there was no concept of DLC or day one patches or anything, we're, we're also still sort of moving into this like games as a service um, thing. We've had MMOs for a really long time. I mean, we're starting to get into some more complicated uh, versions of what does it mean to preserve a game and um, something that I think we're going to have to start accepting a little bit moving forward is, well, first of all, think about what it means to have a game preserved. I mean, having a game being playable and accessible is a big part of it. Mm. Um, but if you're someone, uh, you know, what, what we're really focused on at the foundation is, is the history aspect. And we want to really make sure that people are able to explore and tell good stories of and research and, and study the actual history of video games. So if you wanted to write a book about Super Mario Brothers, you're not going to be able to write a book if all you've done is play Super Mario Brothers, right? Mm. Like you're going to need to know a lot more than that to really, I mean, I don't know. It, <laughs> I guess you could write a book about just what you did in the game, but it probably wouldn't be very compelling, right? So mm -hmm. To, to understand the entire story, you need a lot more context. And so that's the kind of stuff that we focus on. But I think that even as, you know, if, if a complete picture of a game being preserved means that it is playable and we also know a bunch of uh, context around it, you know, you can study the developer's notes, you can see um, how people reviewed it at the time and like how they marketed it and that sort of thing. That's sort of like the the ultimate version. Like that, that's the goal is that every everything is exactly like that. Mm. But as we move into this more complicated world, I think there's going to have to be some things that we need to rethink. Um, and I'll give you an example that I like to use a lot, which is that even if we are somehow able to perfectly preserve the entirety of World of Warcraft, every single update that they've ever pushed onto it every single you know version um and a historian 40 years from now you know wants to learn what was it like to play world of warcraft and you fire it up and they get to wander around an empty azeroth mm. are they really playing world of warcraft are they really understanding what world of warcraft was and i know that's kind of an extreme example because it's an mmo um but a lot of games that get and and also, you know, the part I, I skipped there was like, which version, <laughs> which version <laughs> should you fire up for them? Right. So there's there's a lot of just it's unfortunate, but there's a lot of problems with the idea of trying to apply the same rules that we've applied in the past to what preserving a game means to uh, to more modern stuff. And, you know, something I challenge people to think about. Obviously, in a perfect world, we're still getting everything preserved, but the amount of uh, manpower required to make sure that we have every build of every game, uh, you know, <laughs> every Steam game, every mobile game like that. I mean, you got to know it's just simply not possible, right? But 
what I challenge people to think about is how else can we make sure that people are at least able to understand what the experience was like in the future? Mm-hmm. Um, how can we make sure that people can still tell these stories, even if they're maybe not able to play it in the exact same way that they were able to, um, they might've been able to play it years and years ago. Um, so I think about things like Twitch streams, you know, being able to watch someone in real time playing a game and reacting to it or, uh, you know, even just footage from a game or uh, blog posts about it and that sort of thing. I mean, it doesn't look quite the same as uh, dumping in an, an NES cartridge and making sure that you can emulate it forever, but it's it's for some of these games probably going to be the best we're going to be able to do because mm-hmm. it's just it's just not enough manpower or storage in the world for every single tiny release to be preserved in, in you know, forever. Uh, so sorry, that is my very long winded answer to that. Fantastic but I just, I, you know, it's something something I, I challenge people to think about and take a little bit more seriously. Absolutely. So, so interesting. Those are the kind of thoughts you only have if you're already deeply in this world and probably talking to people who already love it and say, we're going to do it. We're going to collect everything. My checklist is going to be complete. <laughs> I'm going to have that sense of 100% completion in this game of collecting games. And you have to be the voice who says it's simply not possible. It's like trying to collect every basketball game ever played by other people <laughs> and be like, right, let's, right. let's watch them all. Like you can't, there's a game going on right now amongst children in the, in the park. We right, can't exactly. Record that one, you but... you can probably get all the NBA games, but right. you know, you can't you're... <laughs> get everything. You can't get everything. Um, yeah, once you start getting down to the high school games and, and stuff, I think you're you're going to start running into problems. And and I mean, that's one of the reasons that the Video Game History Foundation um, we actually don't collect games like at all. We collect everything else, so mm. any materials related to video games. Um, and it's it's for you know the two reasons I've already outlined. A you can already get most of these games anyways, not, not maybe not legally, um, but somebody at the very least has got a physical collection of, of everything that's physical. Uh, lots of uh, libraries and museums have done a fairly good job of collecting that stuff. There's tons of private collectors who have very specialized collections and have you know documented that sort of stuff in their own way. And then the data for a lot of it is uh, is available in various ways. And then, also, yeah, I mean, just we we understand our limitations. We simply aren't going to be able to collect it all. And we think our efforts are uh, much better spent trying to save kind of the things that um, that don't get thought about uh, the first time you hear game preservation or game history. Um, it's the stuff that I think people don't always understand just how important they are for mm. uh, for the future of understanding this medium. But but they're start they're absolutely starting to. Yeah, I get that sense. I get that the generation who would be old enough to value history in that way that you're a part of, but older than you as well, has grown up with games in a way that they understand their significance and understand that a lot of things we have today, like Windows operating systems and Facebook and whatnot, we might not have had if it weren't for early game design inspiring the the UI designers and other designers who have created all that. So, oh yeah. So the the evolutionary lines go back like way further than you ever think, you know, you start, you start linking things. No, no one's ever had a truly original thought. Everything's inspired (laughs) by something else, right? (laughs) Yeah. We're downloading 
ideas from other people in our brains and then reprocessing it and trying to spit them back out as somewhat valuable, hopefully. Well, I'm going to go <laughs> see what I can find in my old closet. I've got a bunch of computer games and science, I think the name of the magazine is. I've got a bunch of them. I'll, I'll see if I can send them to you before they get too moldy. I'll double check to make sure <laughs> you don't have yeah, them don't send, don't send mold into our library, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where can people find you? Uh, Kelsey yeah. on, on uh, Twitter and maybe other places. Yeah. So I'm, I'm on Twitter at Kels Lewin. Um, the video game history foundation is at game history org or gamehistory.org If you just want to go to our website, pink gorilla is uh games.com. And we've got two locations in Seattle. Both are right on the light rail. So if you're ever in Seattle, even just visiting for the day, they are both super, super easy to get to. So uh, please stop by. Thanks, Kelsey. So great talking to you. Thank you. This was fun. Yeah. Kelsey's got the rare games. Kelsey's got the rare games. Kelsey's got the rare games. Yeah. So Kelsey was a last minute guest. Couldn't believe she was able to jump in so quickly. I think I asked her like two hours before we recorded that. Can what? you do it? And she just jumped right in. Yeah, this, this episode was a little funny. We have a guest coming on the next episode already that is massive. Whoa. Oh my gosh, and we've been waiting for this episode for weeks on end. Yeah, you're, I think that this episode that's coming up after this episode it's that you're whopper. almost done listening to, we've been waiting for it for... Over a year, I would I would say maybe maybe close to two years, maybe close to when this whole show started. Yeah. So anticipated. I know. It's going to be. I wonder if people can. Amazing. Predict. Oh yes. No, they they some people what know already. Be. Kelsey knew. Kelsey was like, "Oh, you're gonna do that episode." <laughs> oh. Wow. She yeah. was pretty excited about. Wow. It. So thank you, Kelsey, for being on last minute. Everyone, check out her stuff. I'm gonna put her stuff in the show notes too. I'm going to see if I can dig up some old video game magazines to send to her when I go visit my mother tomorrow. Your mother. Yeah, I visit her on the uh, Saturdays after we do the show. Oh, I'm going nice. to go visit my father tomorrow. Yeah, that's fun. That's fun. I'm going to up it to weekly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to do a weekly visit. Well, that sounds great. Get in there with the, yeah, the rents. With the dad and yeah, the mom. The whole thing. What else are we going to talk about on this episode? I think we might be done. PAX is over. It yeah. may never happen again. It was so small. I thought it won't about, happen again. I don't think so. They kind of stopped. The company that was running it is like pandemic. People did not. Nintendo didn't go. Nobody went. The The big names didn't go. People are all getting sick from COVID. I'm lucky I didn't get it. I sort of regret going, but I'm also happy I went. Who wants to leave an event with those kinds of mixed emotions? It's such a wild ride. that uh, This bitch does. I do. <laughs> That's why you want. I want. I want to you feel. Go. The, I want to know the life and the experiences. You walk around a big. Don't explain it to me. That's not <laughs> gonna satisfy. <laughs> You're right. Explanations can't satisfy. You need to live it. I need to live it well, firsthand. This I, is what I've got. We might have to do our own expo. People do them. Oh my god, that would be. Great. <laughs> it's so much work. So much work and money spent, and hopefully you make it back. But yeah, it's been talked about. There's talk about a John Con. What? Yeah. Oh my God. It's of course Sterling's it's named idea. after you. It's Stephanie Sterling's idea. Of I think course. Dogs like eat me alive during the con. Oh no. I get buried in a hole and that kind of stuff. Oh. Cover them in tar. It's John oh, Con. Oh. That sort of thing. It probably won't happen, but it, oh. would, it would do okay with about. 
I don't know. How many listeners does Boston Favorites have? I don't. Oh, John. 10,000. 10,000 people would go. That's not bad. So, until John Con. 10,000 people would go. That's not bad. That's not bad. I'm just going to be in a hole. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. Fecal matter or something. Yeah, I forget about the content of Boston's Favorite Son as soon as it's over. We recently posted a new episode. Go listen to it. It's uh, the very Marvel sleepover, I think it's called. I forgot everything that happened on it as soon as it was done. And Daniel, our editor, who you can support him on the Titwave Pit Rate, that's, that's what we call it, talking about our video games, the uh, acronym Titwave. Uh, T T W A V on Patreon. He's making a remix of me talking about being a hog. Hoggins? I'm not sure. He told oh, me he's doing geez. it. Maybe he's already done it. So support him in all his loving ways. He's working on a video game right now. Hopefully that works out. So his career has taken off. Hopefully and we can... And he's been such a great help to us. Oh, he's been a massive help. I can't even begin to explain the relief oh, I have yeah. of being able to just come on the show and not try to do my ding dang day job mm-hmm. and all the editing it's Ugh. such a it's so awesome i know it's like vacation every day with daniel <laughs> it's some yes he whisks with, us away like yes. Calgon. yeah and then he just he just packages it up and and delivers it to the people yeah well i deliver it okay yeah i make the thumbnails and all well, that stuff. okay so you're still working it's i'm still working that, just that you has still zero work now <laughs> as you should you should relax oh jeez i'm working on things other than this podcast, Lock On Magazine, working on that still, so look up Lock On. Nintendo Force Magazine, working on that. Destructoid.com, about to post a massive Suda51 interview that has only been read so far in Japanese. We have the official, exclusive, rare, scarce translation in English. I'm very excited to show that to people. And I think that's about it for me. Anything else you wanted to say, Tanya? Mm, not this time. Makoko X? Oh, I've been playing that. You're going to review Makoko X? I found myself on my couch this afternoon before you came over. I had my ear pods in listening to the clips to prepare for the show. Mm-hmm. And I was playing Makoko X. Makoko X. And I was yeah. having a, a really nice time. My nice and time I, with Makoko X. And I had a thought. Maybe I need to buy a Switch. Yeah, we should talk more about that. Yeah. A big episode next week, next time, two weeks. Makoko X will be reviewed by Tanya and our biggest guest ever. Ah, I'm so excited. Very exciting. Thanks so much, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye. Talking to Women About Video Games is hosted by Jonathan and Tanya, with editing and production by Daniel. Music by Jonathan and Daniel. You can support the show and get exclusive bonuses on Patreon at patreon.com slash T-T-W-A-V. Thanks for listening. I'm, 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 I'm a dirty hog. I'm, 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 I'm,
hog 